and everything we're buying in the stores is all made in China. So what does it actually cost to go to a factory and get something made for yourself? And I sold two of the three saunas at full retail price at a garage sale. So I'm like, man, there's gotta be a market in this if people are willing to pay top dollar at a garage sale. I, I took my whole <laughs> life savings, I gambled. I was into it for over $50,000. You know, you get ripped off by a few different suppliers. So you learn some different ways to protect yourself. I was spending in the neighborhood of about uh, $6,000 a month in PPC ads. Today, my website generates about 35,000 organic visitors every month. Don't mess with the Google gods. <laughs> <laughs> what does it take to be successful with e-commerce? In this Bernie Chats with Aaron Grunke, owner of Perfect Bath, we'll discuss his e-commerce journey from side hustle to thriving business, from e-commerce challenges to tips and tricks that he's picked up along the way and how he became an SEO expert. There's lots here for anyone interested in taking their business online or to the next level. I hope you enjoy it. Please remember to subscribe, like, share, and comment. Let's get started. So hey everybody, welcome to Bernie Chats, and I'm here today with Aaron Grinke. He is a e-commerce website owner that has been very successful with his e-commerce program. And I first got to know him a number of years ago. He was um, looking for somebody to help him build his website and get more results with his with his web marketing. And so we got together and uh, he's been quite successful since. So we're going to talk about his journey. Uh, for, for myself, I had started trying to do things on my own a few years before. So a uh, little bit about that. I have a background in manufacturing in machining and millwright. And I did that for 19 years. And while I was uh, still working my day job, I tried uh, my side hustle to make a little bit of extra money. And I was overseas with my wife, she being from Finland. I really got to love the sauna and stuff. That's a way of life over there. So I got to thinking, man, things like this are really nice. And everything we're buying in the stores is all made in China. So what does it actually cost to go to a factory and get something made for yourself? So in the days before Alibaba and that, I was actually sourcing a product from factories in China. And I had ordered a few samples, brought them over, and we had a garage sale. And I sold two of the three saunas at full retail price at a garage sale. So I'm like, man, there's got to be a market in this if people are willing to pay top dollar at a garage sale. That's cool. So I want, I want to unpack that a little bit. You're in Finland and you see that people are really enjoying saunas and, and other sort of luxury items. And then you started thinking, how can I get in this business? And you did a little bit of test marketing in Canada. And the first saunas that you sold, you brought them in from China. Yeah, I guess I was doing test marketing. I didn't even realize it because it was before I knew anything about internet marketing. I, or, or business I was, in general, I guess. That's right. I was in manufacturing. I, I wasn't a business owner. I, right. I was just thinking a side hustle. And, you know, I ended up learning, teaching myself all the importing ins and outs and yeah. uh, how, how to do all the uh, different sourcing and uh, importing, you know, that's not for the faint of heart either with uh, making sure you got your eyes dotted and T's crossed and everything so that everything gets through clear. And Yeah, because uh, if you don't have the forms filled out correctly, they're legal forms. And, and if you don't have the forms filled out correctly, then your shipment could get held up. There could be some issues. Uh, I remember once when I was in the promotional products business, we brought in something like 7,000 water bottles for an NHL hockey game that was to be distributed and they got held up at customs because they didn't say made in the United States on them. So what do we do? A friend of mine who owned a print shop printed labels that said made in, <laughs> made in the United States. And for like 10 hours before the hockey game, we had a team there putting little stickers on all on 7,000 water bottles and we delivered them to the arena like an hour before the, before the game. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So the website you have now is perfectbath.com. When I first met you, it was perfectbath.ca. So we can explore a little bit about the domain name and maybe you can tell me a little about a bit about your first attempts at getting that business online. What was that process like? And by the way, before we get into that, I should say 
that in all the dealings I had with you, I don't recall having any idea that it was a side hustle. I, I thought it was your full-time gig because you took it very seriously and that's great. And, and by the mm -hmm. way, it's always been a pleasure dealing with you, of course. How was it starting up a business while you had a full-time job? Yeah, it was definitely something that, uh, you know, it took a lot of time. I had two, two young ones at home. Two, two little babies and uh, working full time and, and stuff. So it, it was a pretty good sacrifice on, for uh, the family to do. Uh, but I, you know what, a lot of people, <clears throat> they, they may, you know, they, they just want their nine to five, they don't want anything more. And where I was looking at is working at in as a machinist, and right, you know, you're making pretty good money, but it just wasn't paying the bills. And so I, was, I wasn't even thinking of it as a full-time job. I was thinking of it, how can I make some extra money to make ends meet? I was working for one of the biggest machine shops in Calgary. Okay. And uh, in 2010, they, they went bankrupt. And oh. I had this side thing going. And it was at that time that I decided, do I uh, take the, the side business and push it all the way to make a living with it? Or do I go out looking for another job with uh, 30 other guys? Well, that's really interesting too, yes. because when you have a position, I mean, that's, there's a lot of stability there, especially if you have a family. And so tacking extra money on top of it, uh, especially if the position is covering your expenses and the in extra income is a bonus, uh, which is a position that I've been fortunate enough to be in in the past is having, uh, you know, the security of a full-time position with the full benefits and all that. And then tacking on, you know, I was, um, I was bringing in probably about $4,000 a month from, uh, from my websites while I had a full-time position. So it was a real bonus. It was like whatever I wanted to buy, restaurants, trips, and everything was all play money. So that was nice. Um, so the, you, you had that side hustle. And did it detract from your work at all? Or do you think you're you still pretty focused at work? Well, I, would, I was always uh, someone who i am always been a top for uh, hard worker at anything I do. Uh, definitely it kind of distracted things, but I, I was up front with my uh, boss there and he mm -hmm. was a little bit flexible with things. I was doing uh, CNC programming. So a lot of the times I was, I was doing the programming machines were running and I was just watching them. So I had okay. a little bit of spare time. So I was fortunate that way. That takes a lot of the, a lot of the pressure off. I think if you, if you have the transparency with your, your employer, Definitely being upfront with an employer, if you got a side thing, definitely clear. Like now that I am an employer and I have employees, uh, I very much value if, if they're doing something on the side, if they're upfront with me, you know, it's, it's one thing, but nobody, nobody likes to have anything going behind their back. So definitely yeah, sure. good advice. If anybody is, does have a side hustle, be, be upfront with your, with your employers. Well, it'll take a lot of pressure off you personally because you don't want to feel like you, you know, you're concerned about people looking over your shoulder or doing the wrong thing or whatever. So you can you can act more genuinely in your position in your role, and I mean it's a big part of your life, right? Yeah, for sure. So so yeah, with importing in that, you know, it, it definitely it allowed me a couple things. It allowed me to uh, move away from from Calgary. Uh, moved back home to Kelowna, where where I was born and grew up, where there's little manufacturing and uh, there wouldn't really been too many job opportunities here. So uh, it allowed me to uh, to be able to work work from home, do, uh, do my own thing. So that's great. So you sold a couple of units from the garage sale, mm -hmm. and then and then you transitioned to an online business. What was that process like? I, again, I didn't even realize that I was doing it, but I was really doing guerrilla marketing. I, I sell in these things on uh, Kijiji and I, I developed my first website. I did no idea about internet marketing or websites and, uh, you know, building websites isn't as easy as it is today, but you know, I, I, I was always up for a challenge and I started making a few sales with my online business. And then, and then at some point we, we were introduced to each other through a mutual friend and we looked mm -hmm. at what you required you at the time you were. I guess going from a flat website, flat files to an e-commerce site. That's right. So I had built for myself uh, an HTML website, and uh, I must admit, when I look back at it, it was pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bad website. I'm actually surprised people bought bought off it, and it was before people were accustomed to online like they are today. So uh, I, I knew that there was a market for it. Uh, but yeah, when I got started, I did those first sample orders. Uh, then I, I said, Hey, there's gotta be a market in this. 
I, I gambled. I took some money out of my credit line and I ordered a 20 foot container. That's going all in. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, I really gambled, did a couple of 20 foot containers. And then uh, as those were selling quicker and quicker, and I gravitated to 40 foot containers. And, but you know, there, there's a lot of different things along the way, you know, you get ripped off by a few different suppliers. So you learn some different ways to protect yourself and okay. things like that. So, so let's dig into that. What kind of tips can you offer to safeguard against getting ripped off by suppliers overseas? Any thoughts on, on things you could do to mitigate that risk? Yeah. What I would do now is when I source any new products, uh, I'll contact, you know, 10 different factories mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll, I'll get a feeling for uh, how they communicate their pricing and stuff like that. I don't always go for the lowest pricing. Uh, one, I want to make sure stuff is certified. Uh, I want to make sure that they have good communication uh, and not just with English. I, I mean about actually responding because one thing I found in importing, uh, a lot of these guys, they'll, they'll very vaguely. So you need to use very clear yes and no questions. You just ask, is, is this black? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. and, and things like that, because otherwise they'll phrase their, their reply and you can read into it and it's like, oh yeah, this is just what I want. And then you get it and nothing like even asked for. Yeah, that's, so, that's great. That's great advice. Do you happen to speak other languages, Aaron? You know what? I'm not fluent in any other languages. I can, I can uh, get my travels, but okay. No, I find most of these ones overseas. I've been dealing mainly in China. I do all the communication through email. Uh, I find they, they get a lot better through uh, text than they do speaking. If you try speaking to them, you'd never understand them, but right. when you're, they, they seem to understand uh, texts uh, quite well. Yeah, I just asked from a perspective of um, if you happen to be multilingual, then I believe that you have a, a better ability usually to formulate questions and stuff they, that they have less chance of being misinterpreted because you know what it's like to be asked questions in a second or third language, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that, that tip about um, asking closed questions, yes or no answers is a very good one. Um, one of the things that I would advise against too is, is any kind of run-on sentence. Mm -hmm. where, you, where you might have two questions packed into one sentence because that's going to confuse them, right? You want mm -hmm. to make it very clear about what you're requesting for information back. Yeah. Yeah. You also want to make sure that you're not using slang and you're not using uh, terms. Mm -hmm. You want to use very simple English. You don't right. want to use uh, words that they wouldn't know. So a, a lot of times... Yeah, I got to really think about, you know, how am I going to ask for this? And so that you, you can get the clearest meaning in the simplest way. Great. Yeah, great, great advice. Apart from initially communication, uh, what I would do is, you know, I narrow down those 10 or 12 companies that you originally contacted. I would narrow it down to two or three ones that show the most promise, the nicest product, and then I would order samples from the samples. You can get a pretty good idea, which is a better company to deal with. Uh, and then, yeah, go, go from a, a sample order, then go to an LCL, which is just a couple pallet loads of, of product. Is Do that, that a, less than container load LCL? Less yeah, than LCL, less than container load. And I, I would do a whole shipments like that with a company uh, just to get a feel, to make sure that the, the quality is consistent. Because right. that's one thing I found is some companies, they'll deliver one, one uh, shipment and it'll be beautiful stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have another shipment is absolute garbage. So right. you want to make sure that they can deliver consistently the, the same quality. So when Aaron, when you're ordering the samples, are you paying for those samples? Uh, generally, yes. Uh, they might give you a discounted price or something, but don't expect to get anything for free. If they're offering something for free, they're making it up somewhere else. And uh, in their thinking, it obligates you to them. So that's something else I do. Whereas a lot of import uh, factories overseas, they like to use their own freight forwarder. Right. I, I actually arrange my own freight forwarding. And I find that's better because then I have more control. And right. then I have the communication with the freight forwarder. Sure. Uh, you know, these factories, they might use some freight forwarder where you know, they're, they're a rebuyer from three or four other different carriers. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas I might use a, a bigger one, like, uh, uh, 
I use Siva right now. They're a, a company out of uh, the Netherlands, uh, okay. huge company, uh, Shanker, big German company, and they have offices all over the world. So right. if I need any communication, I need to know what, what's happening and I know what my costs are going to be. Uh, right. I've had some shipments where it's been direct for uh, the factory organizing it and they'll tell you one price. And then by the time it gets here, it's three times that because right. they've, they've tacked on different things. And if you want the shipment, you got to pay it. Sure. And, and I guess because you're using your own freight forward or your own freight company, you're developing that rapport with them and your buying power is increasing every time. So your, your clout with that company. That's right. Advanced. Um, I guess there's there's a whole other aspect to this that we are that we aren't going to cover here. But yeah, just, you could we could go for a few hours just on shipping. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. Keep uh, the best advice I would say is keep the control yourself. Uh, ha have your own relationship with the freight forwarders. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll save you a lot of headache. Not only that, if you're uh, if you're getting the factory to do arrange the freight forwarding, yeah. charging you up front before you get the shipment. Whereas when I arrange the freight forwarding. Uh, I don't pay the freight forwarder until the products arrived in Canada. Right. So that gives me a little bit more time with, uh, with my money, the cash flow. Bernie, uh, when you came on board, you really opened my eyes to uh, a lot of things that, that are actually necessary in an online presence. Uh, the fact, yeah, I started out with a .ca and even still that my website, perfectbath.com is still primarily geared towards Canada. Uh, but at the same time, it's allowed me to grow beyond beyond the borders of, of Canada for many of my other products like parts and stuff like that. Um, now, uh, when when you took on the project, yeah, you you did uh, a lot of things uh, there as far as the content uh, writing and things like that. You know, the keyword analysis, all these things that I had no idea about at the time. And really, those are really the foundations when you build a website now that, that uh, you really want to make sure that you got uh, your ducks in a row and, and, and looking at your content and your all that kind of stuff. Some clients might find it a little bit annoying to go through the process of planning your website, but it's really important because it's almost like building a house and putting down a foundation. You, you would never build a house without knowing that there's a proper foundation on it. And so you want to do the same thing with the website is make sure that you, you, you have a plan of what you're going to put in there and strategically how it's going to work and then build it according to plan. Otherwise, you're going to find that you build the house or the website in this case, and you got to go back and rebuild things. And, and you might not be getting what you had envisioned. So that communication between the client and the provider is very important to make sure that you're both on the same page and you have a clear documented plan of how that's going to unfold and how it's going to work. Right. Yeah. So when I started out, I was really doing things by the seat of my pants. Yeah. And uh, when you came on board there, it really helped take a, a logical kind of uh, look at things. And, and so that we were really able to, to gear things up. And so just an example, Bernie, uh, with that website, you know, I, I was a small business owner. I had just been doing my side hustle, just starting it full time. So, uh, you know, with that investment, I really went all in on the on the investment. I, I think at the time with the content writing, SEO, everything, uh, building the website, the e-commerce website, I think I was into it for over $50,000. And, you yep. know, and for a small business owner, that's a lot of money. But again, I went all in. Uh, I'm the type of person, I don't do things half-heartedly. If I'm going to do it, you either get all in or you get out. And well, that's, uh, that's a key thing to businesses, commitment and, and stick to itiveness, right? Yeah. And fortunately, you know what, doing that really paid off in, in spades because my payback of my investment in the, about three to four months, which is just phenomenal. I, that just totally blew me away. Great. How would you break up those costs? Like, can you give us just a rough idea? Like I know the website was under 10,000 at the time. Mm -hmm. Nowadays it would probably be 10 or a little bit more. But, um, you know, we're talking six or seven years ago and, and honestly, we were building it as, you know, a case study and we were eager to put it in our portfolio to replicate with other people. Mm -hmm. So I think a big part of the cost was the content writing, uh, graphic work. Uh, you came up with a logo, creating the brand that, that was a big part of it. And, and a part of that was really 
uh, finding my my value proposition, what it was that I brought to the market that any competitor uh, around me wasn't. And that's something I hadn't thought about at all. Before that website, did you build an e-commerce site or you went straight from getting emails for orders to getting actual paid orders, right? Yeah, I had a website and I was selling online, but it wasn't able to take orders online. So I had pictures of the product and everybody had to phone in. I was still making some sales on it. It was it was actually going pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, but... And this uh, would have been and, around early 2010s, so like 2012 or something? Yeah, 2012. Yeah. And, you know, so, and my product being a big ticket item, you know, my product ranges from, you know, four to four to $6,000. That's a fair chunk of coin that people shelling out to a company they don't even know that was an eye opener. And then uh, I was taking orders, yeah, through email. I was getting, you know, way too busy. Being able to automate things with having the online orders, oh man. That was not only the increased business, but just to being able to handle it. That was that was like a, a night and day difference too. Yeah, and I think the schedule for that. I think we had a, I think we delivered it in about four months or something, if I remember right. Does that sound about right? Yeah, about about four months or so. And, and you know, it's easy for a small business person getting antsy because everybody was, oh man, I, I want to start making now, but you really you don't want to rush the process. Yeah. You, you, you want, want to make sure you spend the time to get it right. For sure. And we had a lot of things to contend with then. I, if I remember right, we did not have the ability. We were built it on WordPress with the WooCommerce plugins. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays we have Shopify, so that's a lot simpler, but not as robust in a lot of ways, especially for SEO and certain things. Um, now that being said, we, we did not have plugins for WooCommerce for Canadian freight addresses were just coming out, uh, if I remember right. And we had to do a lot of importing of postal codes and issues like that. I think we were about six months before WooCommerce started really offering robust um, postal code and freight options. So we had to innovate a little bit in that regard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember it was in the early days of WooCommerce. Just talking about WooCommerce and and WordPress versus Shopify, just for the listeners, the main difference is, and these are probably the most popular entry-level e-commerce systems, okay? Um, And by entry-level, I mean, there's big companies using these, um, but massive companies use different systems on the on the back end in a lot of cases the big difference is that the wordpress systems we're talking about is is a self-hosted solution so you're involved with the servers and you're involved with a lot more aspects of the website whereas shopify is a SaaS model software as a service and so you're adding your website to their platform and and not having that kind of control and ownership but then their platform is very thought out and it's a great way to get online especially if you already have traffic and people coming to you in our opinion would you agree with that yeah uh, definitely shopify is a good platform Uh, it's really a simplified version of woocommerce and so uh, it does have a lot lot more limitations than uh, woocommerce a lot less flexibility uh, but you know what, for somebody wanting to get started, it, it's a simple, inexpensive way to get started online. Good. And so you're running on, on WordPress with Woo, WooCommerce plugins. And when, from the time we launched the site, you, you talked about a you know, fairly sizable budget for small operators. Um, I think you were going to break it down into what aspects there were. There were the website, the writing, that budget included promotion as well. Maybe you could talk to me a little bit about what you did to promote the site and, um, and what that process was like. It was a learning process, obviously, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, initially I was spending in the neighborhood of about uh, $6,000 a month in PPC ads. So, uh, so um, pay- my- PPC being pay-per-click. Paper- so that would be things like Facebook and Google. And every time somebody clicks on there, you pay a small fee. Yeah, so I was started off with that. And I was getting at the time about 300 organic visitors a month. And the rest was pay-per-click. With the PPC, I was able to get my visitors up. I was up around 20,000, 30,000, which, which is a pretty good audience. Twenty or 30,000 visitors per month? But that was with the PPC. So I, I was making a considerable investment to get these visitors. Right. Then I started investing in, in SEO work. 
with a website. So yeah. part, part of the scope was the on-page when the site was being built. And then we had one of your team members at the time started with the off-page SEO. With that investment, I think we started about $1,500 a month or something like that with uh, SEO uh, off-page. And with that, uh, within about a year and a half, two years, I took it up uh, substantially. Uh, like today, my website generates about 35,000 organic visitors every month. And that's organically. And I don't do any P PPC anymore. Yeah. So maybe if you, if you don't mind talking about that process a little bit, I guess maybe you can talk a little bit about what you learned in SEO uh, as part of it. But the, the process that I'm thinking about is when you are investing in your PPC campaign, you're capturing emails and you're developing an audience. And eventually that can kind of take a life take on a life of its own and you have a brand that people are coming to more than having to pay to get them there. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing, Bernie, that I found with the difference between PPC and having organic visitors that naturally come to your website through a Google search mm -hmm. is the quality of the visitor is, is so much, uh, the user intent is so much higher with PPC ads. My bounce rate was, you know, 95, 96%. Uh, whereas with my organic visitors now, I have a bounce rate of about two and a half percent. So that means that people are staying on the website longer. They're taking action. Uh, they're not just coming to the website quickly going somewhere else. So they're actually a, a quality visitor. That's great. Those are phenomenal stats and, and quite a massive increase. Um, maybe I should just unpack what that is. So the bounce rate is the amount of people that come to your website, they land on the first page and quickly enough, they're moving on to a different website. So they're bouncing off the first page that they arrive at. And the organic search, it's not self-explanatory, it's non-paid traffic that's coming to your website and they're finding you on Google or Bing or other search engines, but they're not clicking any paid advertising. They're, they're clicking on the links that are organically indexed in the search engine. Yeah, so a lot of that was uh, with the work you did initially, uh, Bernie, with the content writing. I believe we started with 10 or 20 articles originally uh, about different uh, topics surrounding bathroom wear, bathroom fixtures, and even the lifestyle, because my product is all about the home spa experience. So you wrote some articles about the home spa and getting the most out of it and things like that. And, and then we started adding two or three articles a month on a regular basis. So the foundational part of it, we had a package for the content writing, which included writing for your about page and for all the different pages on your website, as well as feature articles. And somebody on our team that's a, that's a, a high quality writer, she was able to put some meaningful articles that people will actually take the time to read. You know, it wasn't just fodder for search engines. Yeah. One thing I really liked about the process that, that you did, Bernie, rather than just hiring a writer and telling them, write me an article is uh, you actually had the right contact me and they, they interviewed me a little bit to get an idea about my product and about how it works. And, and that way they were able to formulate the articles that just hit it just the way we wanted. Part of that process too, is not only understanding your business, but also understanding your voice and, and how you operate so that it's more reflective of your company's uh, persona. And, you know, like even a lot of the on-page stuff where you would think like just descriptions and title tags and things like that, you'd think, oh, you know, I, I can just make something up. Mm -hmm. But the way that the writers are able to make it so much more enticing using their descriptive words and things like that. I think that really helped to draw visitors into the website. It, it kind of captivated them. And so, so you worked uh, with, with Rob on SEO for a long time. He became a bit of a mentor to you and as he was to me as well, or certainly was a wealth of information and quite happy to share his, his knowledge. How did that all unfold? How was that experience? Yeah. Rob Green, if um, many people know him, he's, he's a, he's a good guy. He's, he's kind of transitioned his uh, business model to a little bit different than he was doing back uh, when he was working with me. He was able to help show me what I needed to do to continue to develop the website so that it wasn't just a once and done thing. Uh, he showed me that it continued to evolve and even the off page uh, and the on page as Google uh, logarithm changes and stuff like that, we, we needed to make changes to the, 
to the different category pages to make sure that it, it, it kept relevant with uh, the search engines. That's great. Yeah. So I want to unpack a couple of things you said there. One of them is on page that refers to all of the technical changes and the writing and images and everything that you do on your website and off page is out in, in the internet. One of the key factors there is links pointing to your website that you have, of course, less control over, but you can still manage. Maybe you want to tell us about where you're, where you're at with your SEO now. So uh, over time working uh, with Rob, I was able to kind of test, well, not only do the work on my own website to a certain degree, while still keeping Rob overseeing things and keeping it growing, I was able to tweak things under his guidance. And now you do a search for, you know, steam showers, Toronto, steam showers, Vancouver, any city, town in Canada, I, my site's number one. I know what kind of things have gone into it. And I worked at replicating that on a couple of my own other websites over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I, I got confident that I can do this consistently now. And so just in the last couple of years, I've been offering uh, my own internet marketing services to other businesses as well. Uh, you know, Bernie, my e-commerce site, that's my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. and, and so I look at the internet marketing side of things. That's my way of giving back to other businesses. Mm -hmm. and, and I know you're a big part of that, uh, back to other businesses and helping them to grow as well. There's a lot of satisfaction in doing that too, and helping other businesses uh, grow as well. Yeah, I think um, after all this time, we've acquired a fair amount of understanding of how these things work. So it's great to be able to guide people along, help them out and see, it, it, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing results happen, right? Absolutely. And, and, and of course, beating Google at their own game. What greater thrill can you have than that? <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with the Google gods. <laughs> yeah, if you mess sure. with the Google gods, they will slap you. <laughs> it's something that uh, keeps you on, on your toes. One, one thing about if someone's looking for an internet uh, marketing agency, I think you need to look for someone that's progressive. Mm -hmm. uh, someone that stays up to date with the latest stuff. You know, the internet world is changing so much. If, if you're talking to a guy and they're not going to regular internet marketing conferences, uh, like high level, where they're discussing the, the latest trends and, and things like that, they're going to do more damage than good because Google logarithm is changing daily, not, not just uh, monthly or yearly. Well, and it's very smart. And this is where I joke about, uh, you know, trying to fool the Google gods. You have to do things in a way that is natural. Um, you know, what you're trying to do is you're trying to serve your clients. And a big part of Google's reason for being is to serve the clients. So all of those algorithms they have in place, it's like a safeguard to make sure that people aren't trying to fool the system and that they are actually delivering results to Google. Because what Google wants is that when people type in uh, showers and bathroom fixtures in Vancouver, into the search engine, Google wants the people who are typing that in to be satisfied as soon as they find the first, second, third result or whatever result they click on. They don't want them to bounce somewhere else. They want them to stay on that website for a given amount of time. And that tells Google that the, the visitor is getting value from the results that Google pitched them, right? Yeah. So, you know what? One of the biggest fallacies a lot of people, they think, oh, I've built this beautiful website. Mm -hmm. And why, why am I not getting lots of visitors? Why am I not getting sales on my website? Mm -hmm. You know, the adage, build it and they will come, <laughs> does not apply on Google. Uh, and really, Google doesn't look at the prettiness of a website. Google looks at code. So uh, just having a pretty looking website doesn't mean that uh, it's, it's, uh, Google's going to like it any better than an ugly looking website. It's all about uh, feeding Google what Google wants to see. Yeah, it makes sense. So in other words, the, the Google indexing system is essentially just reading all the code on your website and then determining on a, a number of factors where it's going to position you in the rankings. The, the ranking signals that they look for, they change on a regular basis because Google is constantly updating that. And sometimes they have major updates. You know, So back in, I think it was 2002, I was having a lot of success with certain websites that I had online. I was doing a lot of work in the travel space and I was selling a lot of hotel rooms and then the algorithm changed. I remember, I believe it was the Florida update at the time. And then everything changed. 
So all of a sudden I wasn't in the first, second or third position. I was like page four or something. <laughs> so yeah. these kind of changes happen. And that's where you want to deal with somebody who is staying abreast of these changes and can advise you on that. It's, it's very important for your business, but there's been cases of people who've taken Google to task because it's affected their business. So there was the penguin update. What was the other one? Panda. Panda. Yeah. Panda was a big update. And then, and, and that affected people's businesses. So if you have a big successful business and it's running solely on organic search results, and there's a major update that can upset your, your cash flow. And if you're dependent on that cash flow, you have employees, et cetera, then um, you need to stay on top of it and, and you want to figure out ways to mitigate those risks. And that's where not trying to fool Google comes in. Because if they figure out a way that people are fooling them and they address that, then those people can suffer some pain from it. Yeah. So really, th that's where it comes down to uh, our, our job is to make things look as natural as possible. You want to future proof your website. So yes. just because something isn't affected or Google's not looking at it now, you want to think about what might Google look at in tightening up their logarithm in the future. Mm -hmm. So you want to continue to make things look more natural than what Google's looking for right now. Right. And, and so you future proof it. I also wanted to uh, back up a little bit there, Bernie. Uh, you know, we were talking before about PPC and SEO. And, you know, when you're thinking, oh, I got to do all this work SEO and Google can shut me down. Why don't I just pay ads all the time? Uh, and there's two different ways to look at it. You're, you're paying for your ads. That's like uh, renting a home. Mm -hmm. You get the use of it. You know, you get to live in it. You get to enjoy it or whatever. But the ads, once they've run, that's it. You don't get any return from it. Whereas when you own your own home, you can invest money in it and you go to sell it. It becomes an asset. It's a valuable thing. And same thing with your website. When you invest money in your website, get it to bring organic visitors, you're getting that return. It's not money lost out the door every month. It, it's an investment that at a future date, when you go to sell it, that can be a substantial uh, asset to your business. Yeah, and I, th I think whether you are in an e-commerce business or whether you have a brick and mortar business with a successful website attached to it, it is part of the valuation of your company, that domain address and the website on it, as well as the mailing list, especially if they were paying customers. But those all add up on the assessed value of your business when you do go to sell your, your business. Mm -hmm or perhaps even section off parts of your business to sell off. What kind of challenges did you, would you say were the biggest challenges in that process of getting to the point where you had the side hustle and getting to, um, to the point where you had a successful, repeatable revenue stream coming in from an e-commerce website? What sort of challenges and what words of advice do you have to deal with those challenges? We've already talked about a, a number of them, but maybe there's some other ones. Yeah. Well, a, a big part of it, you know, Bernie, I think the biggest one is the fear of pulling the pin, that guaranteed paycheck versus yeah. going it on your own. You know, it's easy to dabble in something, but when you make that your focus mm -hmm. and you go all in, it, it really changes your outlook. You're, you're not just like, oh, can I make an extra few bucks or I need to pay the bills. I need to grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get the different challenges over different times where I took my business from an online business. I grew it into a storefront uh, where I had employees in the warehouse, uh, things like that. And now in the last few years, I've actually eliminated my storefront and gone back to a strictly online platform. And that cuts my overhead. But you just see how trends change over time. And you really got to look down the pipe. You can't just wait until these things hit you in the face mm -hmm. and then try to try to change. You really got to look at, at what the trends are and, and prepare for them. And that's one thing I've really tried to focus on is look to see in advance what changes are coming. Like here now a big, a big change coming in the next few years is with crypto. Uh, you know, there's so much talk about it and even, even governments are getting in on the, the bandwagon and, and trying to figure out ways to control it. So well, to control it and to prosper from it too. But uh, I do have a guest lined up and he's a crypto expert. So I'm looking forward to that. And if you're interested in crypto, uh, look for that one. It'll be the one with Kevin Carthy. So at what point 
would you say you said you said there's a big transition from moving from the side hustle to going all in and full time? Is there some kind of a measuring stick or a marker that you would say people should look for to know when it's time to consider making that jump might be the best? The last thing we want to do is be responsible for people throwing away their jobs and not being successful. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? For myself, I probably waited too long. Uh, the best thing that happened to me was the company I was working for went bankrupt. Hate to say it, it was a great company to work for, but it forced me to make that decision. We're too afraid to make it on my own. Uh, but uh, I, I think the thing to look for is if you're starting to make as much money or more money than you're making on your regular gig, right? It's time to push it, and you got to look at your time. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're finding that you're consuming all your time between your work and the side hustle. Mm -hmm. you know the old adage something's got to give and uh, of course you don't want to sacrifice your family life or your health so uh, yeah. I think if you get to that point it's time you got to make the call that you know what either you make it a go or you or you stop it would you advise people to maybe set a benchmark in advance and say okay once I get to this level that's the time I'll do it or just to wait let it evolve and then decide as as they go you know what it's always good to to have goals bernie i don't think anybody can predict how long it'll take to grow a business to a certain level mm -hmm. uh, but if you have goals that you know what i want to get five thousand dollars a month or ten thousand dollars a month uh, things like that definitely having a goal is, is very important you can't just uh, leave things without a goal for the future so i want to talk a little bit about um, where you're at now um, one of the things that I, I kind of want to make clear, though, is that when you were when you were investing in your website, you said you're investing about six thousand dollars a month. How much were you getting back in revenue from that expenditure? So that's the surprising thing. I was spending all this money and I didn't even realize uh, you were actually one of the ones that helped to uh, break things down and look at how much investment I was actually getting returned from my my PPC uh, investment. Uh, so I was, I was spending about six, $7,000 a month in PPC. And I think I was making back maybe 2000, if that I was outlaying a, a lot more money than what I was spending in, in, uh, PPC stuff. So that's where, uh, really yourself and, and Rob Green helped me to, to look at the value of an organic customer. When you look at how much you're spending per month, mm -hmm. uh, on, on getting a customer in PPC ads. And you look at if you can bring in that many more paying customers without having to pay for them over time, you see how that balance changes because, okay, so you're spending $1,500, $2,000 a month in SEO off page work every month in helping to improve your website in the rankings. And all of a sudden it's bringing in more and more sales. Well, all of a sudden, if you compare, okay, I'm spending $2,000 a month in SEO uh, I was spending $6,000 in PPC. What's the, what's the sale difference, the cost per, per acquisition of a customer? Uh, you really, it really opens your eyes to the value of, of investing in your company, the SEO. So is part of that the lifetime value of a customer, the calculation for lifetime value? Uh, you know what, with my product, it's more high ticket items. So I don't really have a lot of uh, return customers. I get some, but that's not a big part of it. Uh, but with uh, definitely lower ticket items, I would think a lifetime value is even even greater. Right. So what we're talking about there for the listeners is if somebody comes to your website and they purchase, say, a smaller ticket item for $500, let's say, then that can be calculated against your expenditure to get that to get that customer. But what should also be factored in is that person, maybe they're a contractor and they're going to be making that kind of purchase several times in the next couple of years. So that was what we mean by lifetime value. Are they going to stick with you and purchase on a repetitive basis? And also in e-commerce, a lot of people are building sites that have a monthly subscription, which is a great model too. If you can think mm -hmm. of something that um, people are purchasing on a regular basis, you know, we, I've been very involved in the farmer's markets and uh, there's a gentleman there who has really cool soaps he makes and they're all packaged with a location and a flavor right and i said well why don't why don't you start like the flavor of the month soap and people can sign up for their loved one or for a gift or whatever and every month they get a reminder with a soap that that arrives to them a beautiful soap that arrives to them every month and it costs them say 20 dollars or or 10 dollars i'm not sure what 
but that would be a nice revenue, ongoing revenue stream for them, right? I don't know if he's ever done it, but it sure seemed like a good idea to me. Matter of fact, you and I should yeah, talk but... about that, and maybe we can we can maybe because <laughs> it's a nice a nice line. I'll tell you about that one. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> so de definitely uh, recurring payments. That's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving, in, in my opinion. Yes, yes, and that's probably what you're finding with your parts department too, right? Absolutely, and that's where I've grown my business over the last number of years. Is now not not just with the initial product, but now the after service parts. And I talk, you know, there's some competitors I have, and even the factory overseas, they they look at it like, oh, that that's just a hassle, that that's lost money. But, yeah. And but really, you look at car manufacturers, where do they make most of the money? They don't make their money selling the the car off the car lot. They make the money when you come back for the for the service for the. Uh, spare parts and, and stuff like that. So and they sure do. So really, that that's where it's been great for me. In 2015, I did about uh, five or six thousand dollars in spare parts. Yeah. Now last last year, we had grown that so much that I think we were about three hundred twenty five thousand just in spare parts last year. And so, so the growth what, is horrendous. In that's the awesome. Margins. And so so Aaron, what are your numbers like now? And and where's the website at now that you've gone through this investment? and um and some time has gone by yeah so the, the website now yeah i think i mentioned uh initially we had only 300 organic visitors now we're getting about thirty-five thousand organic unique visitors every, every month sales when i started off you know, i was making probably eight thousand dollars a month in sales on on the website now my website does about a hundred thousand dollars a month in sales so hundred thousand a month and what's how much is your average sale my average sale shower is at their five to $6,000, whereas the spare parts, they could be anywhere from $20 to $500. So you got a $1.2 million business there roughly. Yeah. And, and so uh, now where I'm at with the company, uh, I've grown it to a, a point that, uh, you know what, uh, I've had my run with it and uh, I'm changing my focus, my interests. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I've been wanting to progress more into the internet marketing side of things. I've been advertising the business for sale and it, it's become a valuable asset. And so I, so I reached out to you lately with, uh, with something that I saw on your website needed some adjusting. And, uh, then we got into the discussion about SEO and I was quite pleased to hear that you're taking a big interest in SEO. Now you've obviously learned a lot over the past, what is it? Eight, nine years. And, um, and so we've started working on projects together, which is really cool. So, and it's great too, because we have this trust level that we've known each other for a long time. And we've had, I mean, if you, when you go into a systems implementation or even building an e-commerce site for four months, you get to know each other pretty well. And so I know that we can work together. So that's great. And now we're working on SEO, search engine optimization projects for a couple of clients that I brought in. And now we're probably on our way to doing more in that regard. Uh, which is which is great. I'm really looking forward to working with you on it. And now with your with your perfectbath.com, um, we didn't talk about the domain, and we also want to talk about what you're doing with that site now. Yeah, well, well, I I tell you, Bernie, when when you uh, came on board, and I had the .ca domain, and you were uh, trying to show me the value of having the .com, just in the fact that uh, it's more recognizable. Uh, and internationally, internationally, internationally. Yeah. So, uh, you know, even just the fact that, you know, somebody's doing a search, they don't usually put in .ca. They'll usually put in .com first. If, if they're thinking of, Oh, I, I know this brand, they would normally just off the cuff put in .com. Yeah. There's a good possibility they'll do that. So why not be there? And then of course we looked and that domain was taken. And one thing I didn't even realize that you opened my eyes to is contact the people, ask if they want to sell it. So we made that uh, investment. I think we paid, uh, we actually paid a pretty uh, good chunk of coin for the site, for the domain. Right. Yeah. It took some negotiating, but we, we got it down quite a bit. And uh, I did that on a, on a fee for service basis for you. And yeah. So, so you did the negotiation on, on that part and actually they wanted uh, quite a bit more for the domain than than what we actually got it for, because I didn't realize you can actually negotiate. I thought when you see a, a, a domain online or this for sale and they put, you know, $4,000 or whatever, you figure, well, that's the price, you know, yeah. but uh, you were able to negotiate it down quite substantially uh, just by communicating with the owners. Growing the, the website or, or what am I doing with it now? So originally it was like a Calgary based uh, business. 
to being uh, Canada-wide and, and now is pretty well international now. Oh, great. Good. So where do you get orders from? Do you get orders from outside of North America? Absolutely. Now I'm getting, I'm actually getting orders for parts and stuff like that from overseas. I've got in the last month, I've got orders from uh, Norway, Saudi Arabia, India, um, Malta. Wow. So, so we, we're, we're touching so, so much broad. And, and I think that that's one thing that as a small business owner, when you start off with a business, you don't really envision it to grow as big as what it can be. You always think, oh, you know, if you're if you're dealing in a in one city, you know, Vancouver, Calgary, wherever, you, you think, oh, this is my market. But uh, what I've learned over time is you don't want to put yourself in a box. Mm. You, you want to be able to think, you know, how can I grow this? And that's the thing. If you have a brick and mortar store, you're pretty locked in. You're you're on that location on the corner, mm-hmm. unless you open up more more stores around which is a sizable investment but with a website it's it's so much easier to to reach out and and expand your reach just by doing a little bit of online marketing yeah i can totally relate to that you know one of my first experiences with that was when i had my promotional products company in 1994 and we put our first website online and then um didn't take long before we were all of a sudden getting emails and inquiries and i was jumping on the phone with people in new jersey I remember getting off the phone with a guy in New Jersey and I hung up and I went, wow, he's going to order $5,000 worth of imprinted letter openers. I would have never seen that before. And, and at the time it was just mind blowing. I thought, wow, there is power in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of people, uh, even to this day, they still underestimate the power of, of uh, the internet and a website. Mm-hmm. So now you've got this very successful e-commerce site doing a, what sounds like 1.2 million a year. What are your plans now? So, so my uh, plans now, uh, I'm in the process of uh, selling the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had some personal things, my lost my father last year and stuff. And, and so my, my focus has kind of changed. So I, I want to move on from that, but it's, it's a valuable asset. So I, I, is, I have my investment in it so, uh, of all the work that I've done in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the website is worth a fair bit of money. I'm, I'm looking at about $500,000 for the business. Great. So you build a uh, sizable asset there that you're going to, to let somebody else take over and, and benefit from. That's great. And you're going to um, cash in on it, I guess, which is great. So there's a, it sounds like a win-win situation. Who would be a good right. buyer? Who would be a good buyer for your website? You know, just I don't want to do too many shameless plugs here, but but why don't why don't we yeah. talk about that a little bit? Because people might have their own website and be thinking, okay, how do I how do I exit from it? Where where do I sell it? How do I sell it? Yeah, well, online there's a couple different uh, websites. There's Flippa, there's Empire Flippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're great places for for selling uh, websites on. Uh, I've actually got a lot of interest just putting my uh, advertising my business for sale on Kijiji. Oh, just, right? just like I started using yeah. the classifieds and again, having a good description, uh, I had somebody write a really good uh, bio on it. You, you really, with, with anything you sell, whether it's a business or a product, the value is really in the writing and how you present the product. Yeah. You know, you could say, I have a purple pen, or you could say, I have this magical purple pen. Of course, you've still got to deliver the, you know, some results so they get some satisfaction from it. But, but you, you really got to present what it can be. Yeah. I think you got to paint the vision, you know, just like if you're doing, you know, if we're selling SEO services, we're going to talk to people about, about what their, their benefits going to be, but we need to paint the vision as well about, about, you know, where, how this fits into their business and their long-term plan of developing that equity in their business. Right. Yeah. So, So with your business, I mean, it's, it's one thing, and I think a lot of people miss this fact. It's one thing to say, you have a website, an e-commerce site. But there's a lot of things that go behind that. You have a, a supplier base, you have a customer base, you have um, processes in place. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, things over the last 20 years have, have definitely made it a lot easier as far as drop shipping and, mm-hmm. and uh, different things like that. But you still need to be able to have control of the product that you're delivering 
you know, a quality product that you're delivering in a good time. You know, look at Amazon and eBay and stuff. You can buy anything, but you know, you're waiting two, three months for the product and right. a lot of times because it's coming from overseas. So you still have to have the distribution figured out that you can get product in a timely manner and consistency. Really, the way I look at it, service still is king. Presenting it online in an e-commerce platform is just a way of getting it out there. Right. You still need to have that service. Years ago, I had joined the Better Business Bureau. And one adage that really stuck with me that they mentioned is, do what you say and say what you do. So uh, with that, you want to always be making sure that you're fulfilling the promises uh, that you're stating online. So if, if you're if you're creating a, an e-commerce store, you have to be uh, prepared to meet this the customer's expectations with customer service or deliveries, things like that. Yeah, and that can you know if you don't, it could it could backfire on you in other ways too with reviews and having the the trust factors and social proof online is very beneficial to having an e-commerce website and giving people the comfort they need to pull the credit card out of their wallet and put the put the credit card into an unknown system. Maybe you can even speak a little bit about that, about what you found to be effective ways of lowering that hesitation on e-commerce site so that people feel comfortable and that they're making a good choice in purchasing from your site, especially with higher ticket items. Because obviously the more it costs, the more time people are going to deliberate in and talk to their spouse, et cetera, about making that decision. Well, you know what, the way you can almost look at it, is, imagine you're meeting someone for the first time. Mm -hmm. how, how do you break down the barrier so that they come to know you for who you are and that, that they trust you to, to open up to you? Mm -hmm. Well, we want them to open up their wallet to us. So uh, you want to have those trust factors that show them why they can trust you. So you want to have reviews on the website, honest reviews, of course. And again, talking about your policies, how you deliver, how, how they can contact you. You right. know, customers got questions, nothing worse than going on a website and you got a question and there's no way to get in touch with anybody. Uh, you got to search through five pages, even to find an email or any kind of phone number, if they have one. A lot of times, you know, I speak for myself when I go to a website like that, if they want to be so vague with, with talking about how to contact them, I really questions whether I want to do business with them. If you have to follow up and find out where your order is or have any issues with, with the product or the order, you want to know you can get a hold of the people. Yeah. Again, with a higher ticket item, I would recommend belong to the Better Business Bureau. Then you can have their badge, which links to your account. They come out with, with them. So these third-party sites, they do have some promise. Uh, there's House, there's Homestars for, for different service industries. And these are review uh, websites for specific industries. That's right. So again, you want to show people why they can trust you. Why, why should they do business with you than mm -hmm. with your competitor? Right. And is again, it's not all about price. A lot of times my prices are higher than my competitors, mm -hmm. but where I try to excel is with the customer service and, and after service support that people, they can take that to the bank that that's worth something. You have an 800 number. I, I have one 800 numbers being that I advertise nationally and internationally. The, the one 800 number is, has helped with that. You can get them quite inexpensively now. There's I use a platform called eVoice. Yes, and, I use them as well. They've been pretty good. Yeah, but there's many other platforms like it. You know, it used to be you think, oh, a company has one eight hundred number. They must be a huge organization. With online, you can really present yourself to make yourself look a lot bigger than you really are. The thing is, you just want to make sure that you're fulfilling your customers' expectations. Well, and I think it's it's presenting a professional image, right? You know, and being having been in uh, video production, um, that's a good way to present a professional image too. Is if you if you have a high quality video that people could see, could be a five thousand dollar investment, but it can pay dividends. Yeah, it, exactly, Bernie. And you know what? Not even just e-commerce, but even for a regular service industry, I've worked with a landscaping business, mm -hmm. and they just just got started out. They had a crummy website, almost no presence at all. They were finding it hard to get work, but they figured when they when they did get an opportunity to meet with a prospect, that they had to bid low for the jobs. But with having a professional-looking image, a professional website, and things like that, all of a sudden, not only were they getting more phone calls, asking them to bid on bigger jobs, but they could also charge more because they had that professional image, the professional look, 
because a lot of people before they do business with you, Mm -hmm. even though you don't sell anything online, they'll check you out online. Sure. And people generally within two to four seconds, they make a decision whether they want to do business with you or not, just based on, on your professionalism of, of how your business looks. Well, and I think what you're doing there too, is you're, you're alleviating an obstacle, right? So if people come to a website or they deal with you anywhere and, and they see that you're not taking the time to be professional, to be concerned about your image, then the perception is subconsciously, if they're not looking after themselves, what makes me think that they're going to look after me? So, Absolutely. so I think that's, that's part of it. And that's part of developing the credibility and trust factor. Yeah. Um, so it, it extends a lot more than just online e-commerce. It, it extends into sure. uh, even service industries. Yep. Absolutely. We mentioned that we're going to work together on different projects. Tell me about your plans with SEO. I, I firmly believe that if you're going to sell a service, mm-hmm. you've got to invest in yourself and you can't just be practicing on clients' websites. <laughs> you have to have your own properties and stuff like that to be uh, staying abreast of things and testing things before you're you're doing it with, with clients' websites to make sure that what you're going to be doing is not hurt their website and it's going to get them the results that they're wanting. So are there any other challenges or tips or anything that you'd like to mention for people? Anything else come through your mind about some value we can offer people on, on this podcast? Well, I think the biggest one, and it was a big eye opener to me that if you got an idea, it's never going to be anything if you don't run with it. If you have something that you believe in, run with it. And you know what? It can be a sizable investment. It can be a matter of of taking your life savings. I did that myself. I, I took my whole <laughs> life savings. I gambled. Yeah. But, but the thing is, if you believe in something, that it's a good product, a good service, uh, it definitely pays to get that extra support, get that extra help. I'm the type of person where I can do most anything myself. I'm, I'm very capable, but I'm not a, I'm, I can write but I'm not a great writer. I can do graphic work, but I'm not a great graphic artist. Right. Uh, I'm mediocre at best. So one thing that I've learned over time is hire the people that are experts in their field mm-hmm. and you will be able to grow so much faster than trying yep. to do it all yourself. Uh, definitely when you're starting off a business, I can see uh, the benefit of guerrilla marketing, doing things very cheaply as inexpensively as possible. But you also have to realize you need to invest in the right things. And honestly, the online presence is the best use of your money that uh, business can use these days. Mm-hmm. I still see some businesses and there's, they don't want to pay 500 or $1,000 a month for SEO services, but they're still putting a, a $1,000 newspaper ad in or a Yellow Pages ad that mm-hmm. have no results. You have no, tr- no way to track any results with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas everything with online uh, marketing is all trackable. You can track down exactly what result you are getting from an ad. You know exactly where your money is being spent and, and the results you're getting. When I first saw the graphics you put on there, I, originally I had, uh, had my designer create some nice looking elegant graphics. And then, and then you guys decided to put these, um, these sale signs and 10% off and stuff like that. And I know what works for the customer and what get what makes them feel comfortable or want motivates them to purchase is what counts. Not necessarily how pretty it is, but I do like a pretty looking website. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah de- definitely. That's two different scopes, Bernie. I, I see a lot of clients that they, they build a beautiful looking website, yeah. but they miss the point of the conversion. Right. And that's the thing. The goal isn't just to have People come to your website and say, oh, that's pretty. You want people to buy. You want right. people to take action and call you or or whatever. And yeah. you can't fall in love with the design. You can't fall in love with uh, the platform. Mm-hmm. You got to work with what is best for, for your product, for your business. So that if you're on Shopify and you've outgrown it, go to WooCommerce, go to uh, Magento, different things like that, that are going to really fit your needs. And the same thing with graphics. You can't just fall in love with one graphic and keep it forever. Well, and, and I think this is, a, this is going back to, to scoping out the actual website design and development as well, is making sure that you know what you want the 
website to do for you? What actions do you want people to take when they arrive at the website? Those sorts of things. And then you can worry about aesthetics around that. Mm -hmm. But the key thing is what functionality is, is it you're looking for? Are you looking for people to purchase? Are you looking for people to call you? Are you looking for people to engage with your content? What actions do you want them to perform? Do you want them to fill out a quotation request form? So these kinds of considerations are all part of the scoping of the website so that you know that you're investing in a plan that's going to deliver the results that you have in mind and are going to move your business forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That That's right at the top of the list, what you should have in mind uh, when, when you're growing any business and online. Uh, I've worked with some clients, you know, they start off with a free Wix website and they don't want to make the investment to, to move the website to WooCommerce, for example, or, or just WordPress uh, so that it can be more flexible and, and they can add their booking and things like that. Instead, they're stuck with limited features or either that or they end up having to pay so much more money to be able to do half as much that you can do. Uh, a lot easier with a different platform. Right. And getting the return on investment from it. Absolutely. Return on investment should be the number one uh, yeah. feature rather than just thinking, you know what, I built it. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm in love with it. That That is a big sticking point for a lot of potential clients. Well, and I think, I think another part of that too is understanding who your client is. At one point we talked about being broad, but I've had a lot of people when I talk to them about target marketing, you know, the, the old story, you know, you ask a customer who his market is and he says everybody and you go, okay, great. If you're selling to everybody, you're selling to nobody, right? You need to understand who your target market is. And just because you pick a target market, it doesn't mean you can't sell to people outside of that target market. So if your target market is, you know, homeowners who have, you know, a house of 3000 square feet and live in the suburbs, there's no reason you can't sell to somebody who is a contractor who lives downtown and doesn't own a home. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but your your message has to resonate with an audience in order for it to be effective or to maximize the effectiveness. Great. Anything else we should throw in? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of ground. It's great having you, Aaron. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, wish you all the success with perfectbath.com and, and also the SEO side. We'll be obviously in touch with that and working on some some exciting projects together. Thanks for having me here, Bernie. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Awesome. Take care. Over and out for now. If there are specific topics or people you would like to hear on Bernie Chats, please feel free to reach out and share them with me. I'd love to hear about it. And that concludes this Bernie Chats. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. Thank you for supporting the channel. I look forward to seeing you on the next Bernie Chats.